Living Corporate is brought to you by the Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the break room. Welcome. (laughs) As a reminder, I am one of four illustrious co-hosts, and my name is Dr. Nikki Coleman. I am a counseling psychologist here in the city of Houston, Texas. And today I am fortunate enough to have with me my other co-host. Hi, y'all. I'm Dr. Brian Dixon. I'm a psychiatrist up in Fort Worth, Texas. I uh, do a lot of different things, but uh, one of my main goals is to help people feel better, especially Black folks. So I'm looking forward to the awesome conversation today. So thank you, Dr. Nikki. I'm so excited. Now, today is our last episode in the month of February. And as we all know, February is the Blackest Blackity black black month that we get all year. We black all year, but February is extra, extra, extra black. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to wrap up our Black History Month, we wanted to spend our time talking about black excellence. Um, we want to celebrate black excellence and talk about all of the amazing, wonderful things that we do just by being. And then we also want to talk a little bit about what I'd like to call the shadow side. So we were calling this episode Black Excellence the Double-Edged Sword because we want to acknowledge that for everything that exists, there's always sort of a dark side or an opposite side. So we want to sort of do both and today. Um, And we're going to jump into that in a minute. But before we get into that, we want to, you know, spill the tea. I feel like I need to have a a little teacup. I'm going to have to get me a prop. Look at you. Yeah, this is cherry coke. I don't, I don't know if this counts for tea, but uh, you in the break room. Some people get soda in the break room. Some people get coffee. Some people get tea. Okay, there you go. There you go. Drink for the health uh, conscious of us. So you sip on what you want to sip on in the break room. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, so one of the great things about the tea today. So this is actually from a few weeks ago. Um, since we're talking about black excellence, uh, we elected our first black um, uh, and female vice president. So. Um, uh, Kamala Harris, um, uh, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, is our uh, is a an, an icon. And so one of the uh, one of the controversies that came up was the Vogue cover. So I don't know if y'all remember this, uh, but they were uh, during a photo shoot and during most photo shoots, you do lots of um, uh, clothing changes to see which one gives you the best um, the, the best pictures. And so there was a picture of our Madam Vice President who was in her suit, and then she was in her kit you know, her converse and super casual with the, I think the AKA colors behind her, I think if I, if I remember correctly, the green and the pink. Mm -hmm. And then the other photo uh, was like gold and very stately. And she was wearing her powder blue suit, standing in a power pose, but very, but also very accessible. Um, And the controversy was, hey, um, they leaked and or tried to put out the, um, the first cover where she was more casual. And what does that say about um, what does that say about her? What does that say about us as a black culture that our first picture of the first black uh, Madam uh, Vice President is, you know, her in kicks and casual. And so, yeah, so I would love to hear what you think of that, Dr. Nikki. I'll throw out my opinions in a little bit. 
So I had a friend ask me um, years and years ago, um, you know, the phrase, um, and I think Black people say this a lot, right? They used to say, um, you know, you got to know how to play the game, right? Like, you know, you got to know how to play the game. It's you got to know how to excel or how to move or how to navigate. And she was like, is it a game or is it a setup? Because if they constantly changing the rules or the rules only apply to them, is it really a game? And so I think about that. Like, that's the setup, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, she has made it that far. Mm -hmm. um, we all, I mean, even when she got the nomination, right? The foolishness started. Oh, the dog whistling started, right? The calling her out, her name started. All mm -hmm. of that. Mispronouncing her name Mispronouncing started. her name. Like, oh, it's so hard. Like, <laughs> it's phonetic. Like, did you learn your phonics? Maybe not yeah. from, probably yeah. not. You probably had somebody do that for you. But mm -hmm. still... Um, and so for me, it's just part of all that little coded ways that they take every opportunity to diminish our shine. Like mm -hmm. that is sort of priority number one. Mm -hmm. I will give some of them the benefit of the doubt, the doubt and say it's not always conscious. Like I bet if you ask that photographer why she chose that pose, she could tell you all about the aesthetic and what she was thinking about and how she's been known and she's such a relatable character and blah, 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 right? Without ever thinking about, but there's a whole other story mm -hmm. that's being told. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the things that bothers me actually the most about this whole uh, debacle is that if uh, if the person in charge of putting the information out there, so this is Vogue, this is like a big deal, a BFD, a big freaking right. deal, right? Um, and if she's not conscious of what's going on, then there is no hope for the uh, the centurions, the people who uh, let uh, who uh, curate the uh, the information that goes in and out, right? So right. editors of newspapers, editors of magazines, um, editors on TV, like. Like if they're not being conscious about how things are going to be perceived, mm -hmm. they were all screwed. So, yeah. So I, I was very irritated uh, that they chose to do that. The other right. thing is, at the end of the day, I mean, it's your damn paper. Like you're in charge of what goes in and out. Absolutely. Why, why are people leaking anything? I mean, right. come right. on, y'all. Send this back. Hey, this ain't the one. This, it shouldn't yeah. take the light of day, right? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, this is it's, what I go by. Yeah. Do you know any tea about Beyonce Giselle knows Carter? No, you don't know nothing about her personal life. Nothing. If Beyonce Giselle knows Carter can keep her life on life, you don't know about them kids. You don't know nothing about what they eat for dinner. None mm -hmm. of that. Nope. She if they could keep that whole camp on lockdown, surely. Thank sure, you. that's a standard we can all set for ourselves. That's Thank just, you. And so that is what I say about the setup, and, mm -hmm. and that it's always there's always justification, right? Mm -hmm. There is, and the justification always happens before the weak-willed apology. And the apology is always sort of reactive. It's mm -hmm. never proactive. Never proactive, ever. Um, it, uh, so one of the reasons why I'm wearing this white man on my shirt, so let me let me uh, get the, the odd thing out of the room, because you know, I like <laughs> to be a provocateur. So uh, what you see, you believe, right? So when I was growing up, so I'm 40 and some change at this point, it feels like I'm like 57 after last week, which we're going to get to a little bit later on. Okay, um, blackout. I'm saving it up. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. And so, so yeah, I have He-Man, the master of the universe, right? So I grow up hearing that there's this white dude who has big biceps and is like cut like steel and he's the master of the universe. And so that's what I grow up believing, right? Mm -hmm. I don't believe that there's a black guy who's the master of the universe because I don't see it. And so yeah. whenever you have magazine covers like this, they people have to be more sensitive, more thoughtful because you could literally be changing a generation of kids or a generation of people's belief in themselves. And so, yeah, I was, I, I tried my best to stay off Twitter uh, uh, and out of that argument, but yeah, I, that, that got me, that, that hurt my feelings. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so I say representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and we say that sort of, it's become a catchphrase, but it is deeply, deeply true. Um, mm -hmm. I'll talk about, so, so I'll just share really quickly. So my version was, I wanted, there was a, a portion of my life when I was going to, I wanted to be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up watching Star Trek and Lieutenant Uhuru, I was like, oh, like, oh my God, she's so fly. Look at this little short dress she wears. She's still killing it. They can't talk to none of the aliens without her. She got her little calms on her ear. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut mm -hmm. and I'm going to be the next Lieutenant Uhuru. Like, that's what, like, that was my childhood imagination of like how to do that. But it mm -hmm. does matter. Mm -hmm. And it, and so much that it mattered that on, um, on inauguration day, um, I didn't keep my daughter at home. I know some people actually made that choice or some kids are still at home. I'm fortunate mm -hmm. to be able to send my child um, to a COVID safe space um, mm -hmm. for school. But um, the last part where they were sort of doing the walking parade and before and there was the uh, HU band was going to walk her in. I was like breaking our necks trying to get home so we could see it. And it was a it was a moment. It was a moment. And um my daughter's like, mommy, she looks like me. She's the same kind of brown as me. Like that absolutely matters. We could talk about her policies and politics and all of that stuff, but the vision matters, right? Amen. And so yeah. she shouldn't have been short shrifted by any means. Mm -hmm. by yep. any means. Preach, pro-reach. So I actually think this is a really great segue into our topic about black excellence, because here's what I say. That any black woman on her worst day is 100 times better than a mediocre white man on his best day. Oh. I mean, on his, <laughs> did I get right? On her worst day is better than any mediocre white man on his best day, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, but that I, I find that issue with um, uh, Vice President um, Harris particularly um, dismissive because we know what she has done to get to that place, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You have to be the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. It's it's you not showing up janky, not one day. You're not taking no day off, right? <laughs> no um, crust in the eyes, no, no, no. your hair nothing. And that's it, right? Hair laid, makeup, you gotta do all the things because that there's that intersection of um woman um and blackness, right? You it has to be all the things at all the time. And so we, we we give her credit what we know for her intellectual prowess um, and, and her um, her savvy, her um, speaking skills. Baby, I imagine that she was a bomb prosecutor because I've seen oh, her in some of these Senate hearings. Absolutely. Right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But we know that doesn't come with threat. Right. And that is part of sort of that double edged sword around black excellence. That I truly believe that when we say black girl magic, 
Like I believe it. Like it's some, it's some, it's some refined particles of like fairy dust in our DNA. <laughs> and I say that for Black people in general. Um, of several years ago, I had the great fortune to go um, in, in the same span of the summer, go to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, mm -hmm. and then go to the African American and History and Cultural Museum in Washington D.C. And even as a person who's aware of the brilliance and resilience and might and strength and fortitude of black people. I, mm -hmm. I knew that going in. I'm not I'm not ignorant about our history. But for me to sort of see those two um, moments in time and the way that our story has been encapsulated, I was like, oh, we have to be magic. Like Absolutely. we literally like there, I can't imagine any other people not just surviving all that we've survived, but to be in a place where we thrive, where we literally excel. Yep. Just yep. when we show up in the building. Preach. And I find that absolutely astounding and amazing. I have I, that is a message that I have sort of taught my daughter. And I, you know, I talked to her about the fact that she was in um, my mother's um, womb when I was in my mother's womb. Like you were a seed of a seed of a seed. You have come from a long line of people that have chosen life and resilience and being their best selves. Mm -hmm. And that is in you and no one can ever take that away from you. Amen. Right? Yeah. Um, because we have to believe that. Yeah. And it's I, a I, bedrock believe it. I <laughs> love it. And and I would I, I would take it even further, right? So believe it and then choose it. So black excellence is a choice, right? Yes. Right. And I, I love exactly what you're saying because we could have chosen to despair. We could have chosen to be like, screw this shit. We uh I'm done. I'm gonna right. start blowing stuff up and yes. doing all sorts of stuff. We could Storing have chosen capitals yep. because we lost things. By golly, we lost. We can't have lost. We must have been cheated. <laughs> yep. And we could have done that, but we chose not to. We chose to believe that there's a higher calling, that there's a higher power, that there's something better we can build from the awful just shit sandwich that we get pretty much every single day. We we choose to do better. And so, yeah, I love it. And I love the seed of a seed of a seed. Amen, sister. Preach. Yes. Um. And so I think about, so uh, someone put in here about Simone Biles and the Vogue cover that she had at Annie Lee, which was a whole nother debacle. But there was also this article that's, it's actually old, but it's been recirculating about how they've actually changed the rules. This comes back to the setup. So we look at Simone Biles and her uh, prowess as, as a gymnast, and she created this move known as the Biles, mm -hmm. right? And it was rated at a certain difficulty. But since couldn't nobody else pull it off, they dropped the difficulty of it to give people the opportunity to still get their scores up. When I read that, I wanted to like flip some tables over, right? <laughs> because that baby girl just got up and she was like, you can't tell me I can't do a triple, mm -hmm. quadruple, whatever, whatever, because it's in me. I can do it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't? Sorry. Mm -hmm. right? But because of white supremacy, right? The capacity to then dictate reality, shape reality, create the, the structures and policies to reinforce that reality, they're constantly changing the game, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, same thing with uh, with uh, figure skating, and I'm completely oh. blank. Uh, so the Black uh, uh, athlete uh, out of France, Soraya, um, oh my gosh, uh, 
uh, Syria Bonali. I don't know oh, your yes, name. Yes, 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 I remember her. Mm-hmm. So she could do backflips on the ice, and they were like, "Oh no, 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 you can't do that." And she's like, uh, "I, I know what I'm doing, and I do it all the time, and it's really awesome." And then they started to actually penalize her for doing something that other people couldn't do. Yep, hot mess. <sighs> Black, yeah. man, makes me mad, right? Mm-hmm. And so related to part of that, I think, right? I do believe there's lots of us in our that that comes along. Um, in the world. Uh, I talked about this with a, another colleague. I'm like sometimes you'll be doing stuff at work or in your profession and people are like, oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, I didn't even put that together. And you be like on the inside, like that's just real regular schmegular. Like it just kind of came to me. you know. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things that happens to me all the time. And I like talk to people and I help them feel better. And they're like, oh my God, thank you for talking to me. You're really good at this. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, what? Come on. <laughs> So we need to take time out to praise ourselves, right? Yeah. And really choose that to sit in and affirm ourselves for that. And like like Dr. LaWanda um, is saying in the chat room, it'd be basic. And they'd be like, mind blown, right? <laughs> Our baseline is bomb. I, that's just sort of what I believe in. And then we also recognize that because it is a setup and there are structures and policies and, and always recreated policies, additional rules put in place to help sort of put a cap on that, to limit that. What happens is we know we do have to navigate and move um, differently. We have to move through the system differently just for our brilliance to be acknowledged, just for us to sort of even be seen. It's not even for us to even be seen on par, but it's to give them the opportunity to be able to keep up with us, right? Mm -hmm. It's a constant sort of cap. And in order for us to continue to stay in the spaces where we elevate to um, or work up to um, higher levels of, of power and access, it requires this whole level conscious awareness about mm-hmm. how to navigate that, what that means, um, who to talk to, what not to say. Let me not talk too loud. Let me not put too much bass in my voice. Right. All of this stuff. And what we find is that also has an impact on our mental health and well-being, right? That we are actually not just functioning in our excellence at this other capacity, but we're also doing a lot of sort of emotional labor, a lot of interpersonal navigation, a lot of sort of using our spidey senses, our black six senses to figure out who's the ally, who's not, who's the advocate, who's not, who I need to keep on my good side, all of that stuff that we learn to do to be able to do that. And that that for me is the shadow side. That is the part that can take its toll for us as we want to continue to not just for our own professional development and well-being and our own sense of self-concept, excel and move forward. And many of us um, do purpose-driven work, right? We get Mm -hmm. into fields because we want to be the voice in the room. We want to have a seat at the table. We want to create leverage and opportunities for our people and our communities. We want to open the door. So we have a vested interest in being in those spaces in a different way, mm-hmm. but it also impacts us differently in, in ways that white folks never have to even begin to think about. Like that is for me, when we talk about this idea of privilege, it's all the things they never have to even begin to consider Yep. Just waking up and living their lives and being in their regular day. 
Absolutely. And in a sense, um, those are two different jobs that you have to be doing simultaneously, yes. being, being, you know, black excellence, being excellent in everything that you do, plus managing all the shadow stuff that's going on, because yeah, it'll otherwise pull you down. And so you're exerting twice the amount of energy, twice the amount of calories, twice the amount of effort. And so yeah, um, to uh, Tammy's point, you are going to be exhausted or Jennifer's point. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Exhausted. It's exhausted. And G-Day says nonstop vigilance, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to sort of, you know, we are a mental health podcast focused on black mental health in the workplace. And so um, I think it's really important. And we've talked about this as a team of, of podcasters to name things and give people language. And one of the things that we want to name is there's actually sort of a concept that describes this and it's called John Henryism. Is there anybody in the room familiar with John Henry? Now, what's so funny is I asked Brian before, he was like, is that the Appleseed Man? No, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, yeah. It's been a long day. It's been a long 40 years, y'all. It's I'm been tired. a long 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so John Henry, there's this African-American folklore where um, there's this Black man that was a um, railroad steel driver. So, you know, when you see the railroad, those big spikes that go into the railroad to hold the railroad down, where there was a time, right, where human beings actually did the labor of putting those railroads down and banging that in. And so John Henry was this fabled, like really strong, really like killing it. Like he was a badass railroad driver. And then the white man created the steel driving machine. And so the story goes that, that they put John Henry up against the machine. Now just take a moment, and let's take a moment and just think about that as a concept. We're going to take a whole human being and compare him to a machine, right? Like, let's see which one who wins. If that ain't whiteness 101, I don't know what is, right? To compare a human experience to an objectified machine and then put it in competition. We set that aside. And so the story goes that John Henry tried. Like, he tried to beat the machine. And, oh, thank you so much, G-Day, right? And so the story goes, he beat it, but then immediately died of a heart attack, like died with the hammer in his hands. And that is a sort of very cautionary tale, but it's also, I think, a metaphor for really what Black life can look like in our modern day context. Mm -hmm. All the things that we do day in and day out to keep moving forward, to drive ourselves um, as best as we can to elevate our families and our communities, to elevate our uh, race, right? To be in the room, to open the door, to demonstrate our excellence. And at the end of the day, we recognize that Black folks are overrepresented in all of these stress-related health outcomes. And that we have to start thinking about how do we unpack that? How do we stop doing that to ourselves? And what do we do different, right? Because, and I, I talk about this as being like that catch-22 racism. Like you never you never get outside of white supremacy. You, you can have all the knowledge and know how it functions, create healthy spaces for yourselves as much as possible, but you're still in the system. And so there's, it's always sort of impinging on you and getting at you. And this concept of John Henryism, I think shows up for so many black people in the world of work. Um, and it has real life consequences. And now this is where I'm gonna kick it to my MD, um, Dr. Dixon, who can is gonna break it down. What are the real sort of physiological effects on our body when we talk about sort of, what is that sort of um, 
shift from excellence to right detriment, from function to dysfunction? What does that look like in the body? Yeah, so um, uh, in the psych uh, psychological world, there's a term called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -S, right? Eustress is like stress that happens that's actually very good, right? So, hey, you have a deadline at work or uh, you have a report due, and it's actually really important that you feel a little bit of anxiety, your heart races a little bit, you know, um, you um, your adrenal glands release adrenaline, right? So that you can be on your A-game to give a presentation or do a podcast, right? So that's very good. You stress is good. You know, you being at a kind of middle level, you're not depressed, you're not super stressed, you're right in the middle, you stress, and that's a very good thing. The problem is, especially being black, um, because we are constantly in, uh, in the context of white supremacy, which means that we have to be on our A game all the time, we go into just stress, and sometimes it's really extreme amounts of stress. Uh, and your body is really good at kind of um, um, self-regulation, um, unless you are in a constant state of stress. So you're releasing adrenaline and other stress hormones, cortisol. Um, when those things go up, it means you don't sleep very well. And sleep is a very repairing mechanism for a human being. Regardless of what color you are, you need sleep. We don't sleep very well because we are constantly under stress. We are always ready to go. Uh, it's the fight or flight or freeze response, right? Um, the problem is um, there is something called the oxidative theory of aging. So if you type that in, oxidative theory of aging, it basically says that um, uh, when you're constantly stressed, when you're releasing hormones all the time, um, you don't tend to metabolize things very well or completely, meaning these uh, little uh, fragments of stuff float around and we call those um, oxidative things. So if you ever hear of antioxidants, like you're eating your blueberries and oh, I'm getting antioxidants, that's good because that means they come and they bind the oxidative things and get them out of your system. And so uh, there is now research suggesting that we are under such oxidative stress all the damn time that is actually shortening our uh, chromosomes. So at the end of your chromosome is something called a telomere, which is it, it protects your chromosomes and um, uh, and makes you live longer. Well, we're living less long because the stuff that we're uh, the stress that we're constantly under uh, is wearing us down at a molecular level. And so yeah, and uh, and remember at the molecular level it does not differentiate where your stress comes from. So the stress of racism is terrible, but also the stress of John Henryism, right? So when you are killing it and you're working 60 and 80 hours a week and you're doing the damn thing, you have to be careful because you can still do major damage to heart, lungs, blood pressure, the whole nine yards. So the other term that I um, have a little bit of familiarity with, which I think is maybe um, just a combination of the pieces you talked about, is called weathering. There's been some research around the impact of weathering on particularly Black women in the world of work. Um, and that um, um, the correlation is the higher your SES, right? So the higher up you get in terms of what your um, sort of... Uh, social status is in terms of your career, the prestige associated with that, actually sort of the greater experience of weathering that you have, right? And there's some this other research with John Henryism. So folks, Black folks that are in higher SES experience more racial discrimination. Doesn't And that's, this is how I always think about it, right? Racism is always it's always doing its thing. Somebody said racism is the water. It ain't the shark, right? You always <laughs> it just depends on what part of the water you in. So for folks um, among uh, black folks, among us, brown folks, um, to even though it shows up differently across different ethnic groups, that's a different podcast. But 
they are sort of structurally impacted by racism, right? That you are living in a state of poverty or you're constantly trying to keep up. Um, you might have access to uh, not have as much access to um, healthy foods. Um, you may, you know, if you live with a wage earning job, the minute anything goes wrong, the whole thing sort of falls apart. So your, your body is impacted in that way, but you might actually be in fairly um, uh, monoracial communities and work environments, right? You're not encountering white folks in the same way, but we know the higher up the corporate ladder, and I'm using corporate sort of euphemistically, um, you get up, the more likely you are to encounter white folks on a regular basis, right? White folks are evaluating you, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, right? And so black folks in higher SES deal with greater racial discrimination. The more racial discrimination you deal with, the more need you have for coping because you're experiencing more stress, right? And so this John Henryism is one of the ways that we've actually enacted to sort of help us cope, right? Let's sort of have this sustained sort of mental effort at thinking through and start strategizing and problem solving. But the sad part is it still impacts our system, right? Absolutely. Um, so what do you do with that, right? Yeah, well, yeah. How we fix it, <laughs> right? Because I'm not one to leave us just sort of empty-handed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, how I deal with John Henryism, um, mm -hmm. I try to find ways uh, to uh, do bite sizes, right? So any project. So uh, I'm I'm an overachiever. That's just what I had to do to get to where I am. And you know, I I wish I could change that now, but I'm old and personality is really hard to change y'all. So it's built into my personality. So I just try to do bite sizes. And so I use my journal, which I don't have here, but I use my journal to kind of break things down and I write it all out and some things I can't get to and I'm learning to let go. I compartmentalize and I let that go and then I do what I can. The other thing that I try not to do, so what to do is equally as, as important what not to do um, is you don't overdo drinking. So uh, like, I, I can't stress this enough. A, a little alcohol can be safe. A lot of alcohol can be very, very bad, y'all. Mm -hmm. So just be very mindful, very thoughtful about your alcohol intake. Um, you know, if you're going to a happy hour, which we're not doing right now because we're in COVID anyway. But yeah, if you're mm -hmm. at work and you're trying to do the damn thing and you want to make sure that uh, your boss sees you at happy hour and you're under a lot of pressure, be very mindful about what you're drinking in those spaces. Um, alcohol actually decreases your inhibitions, uh, which means that you're more likely to let some of the truth fly. And we don't want y'all getting in trouble for, you know, being like, you racist and you racist. And you, yeah. <laughs> I never have to anyway. Exactly. I'll talk to you no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so be very thoughtful about that, y'all. So yeah, so I what I do compartmentalize and kind of and stay structured uh, uh, with my little planner, and then I try to avoid excess alcohol. That's yeah. Right. What do you do, Doctor Nikki? So I um try to pursue, and I always say radically because just the idea I think is radical, but radical joy and radical pleasure. Because for me, it's about the offset, right? I've, I've opted in either. And, and that's the thing. You either going to opt in the system or you're going to opt out. And I'm not ready to live off the grid and, you know, milk goats and have my own chickens. I'm not ready for that. I have vision some days, y'all. I'm going to be real. That's how my blackness is set up where I just want to be like, you know what? Forget all y'all going all the way over here. But um, recognize that if I, as long as I choose to opt in, then I have to be con in control 
of pursuing joy and pursuing pleasure. It is my offset, right? So I think about all the ways that I have to pour out. And there are all the ways that you are pouring out unconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I need to be intentional about what I pour in. So those are like, so I make time to make sure that I dance, that I laugh, that I play with my kid, that I do things that are just frivolous. Um, Sex, solo sex, sex with a partner, um, doing sexy things, all of that is pleasurable. Um, I do enjoy a good glass of red wine, not all the time, but regularly, right? so I think about ways that I can pamper myself, ways that um, with a reason that I can indulge, right? So it's a rep- it's a way for me to affirm for myself that I am important and I matter and I have value and I have worth. And then the other thing is um, I try to keep a gratitude journal. And I think that is so important. When you stay in a mindset of great gratitude, it, it sort of actually opens up your neural pathways to um, have more... Um, access to your prefrontal cortex. It gives you more capacity for creativity and clearer thinking. And it gives you the opportunity to see um, other avenues and pathways forward to help you strategize better. So I always know when I'm, when I am um, moving into a bad place, because I stop singing. When I'm singing, like just randomly or singing a song, I know I'm in a good place. When I stop doing my gratitude stuff, I know I'm not in a good place. So these are habits And I always use the word practice, practice for a reason, right? I practice these things because there's always something in life to pull you out of it, right? There's always going to be a disruption. And so just come back to it, come Mm -hmm. back to it constantly. Yep. Amen. So uh, just a plug. Uh, they're not paying me nothing, uh, but I use my my uh, my passion planner. And each week they have a whole list of good things that happened the week before, because what tends to happen is you forget. Honestly, like you go throughout life and you're like, shit, everything is bad. This is horrible. Right. Well, if you make a gratitude journal or you keep uh, keep track of what's been going on, you can then look back and go, you know what? Last week was uh, a horrible time and I can't wait to hear the last uh, the last nerve with Dr. Nikki in a second. Um, but guess what happened before that? Oh, I had a great, we had a great family Zoom meeting. I, you know, I got to, to eat a really great piece of cake, right? Those sorts of things, those small things will help you, um, um, help you in the long run. So um, a couple questions and then, uh, yeah. So Dr. Nikki, I'm going to ask you this one first. Okay. So uh, Jennifer said, I'm, I'm a black female, fairly young, 30-ish. Okay, get it. Um, professional. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Female professional that feels that the excellence that is inherent in how I show up often makes others, even other Black folks in power, uncomfortable. Any advice on how to unpack that? Not wanting to lose myself, but also not wanting to make other uh, others uh, uncomfortable. How do you how do you balance that? Mm. So the first thing that comes to mind is. um, I, I so. I used to have that similar experience and people would give me feedback of like, well, you're just intimidating. Well, I don't know if you know this, but you're intimidating. And I was having a conversation with my cousin and she helped me totally flip flip it. And that's what I'm going to offer back to you, Jennifer. And so what I now will do is when I get that feedback, I will ask the person, is it that I'm intimidating or you feel intimidated? Because if you feel intimidated, that's, your issue, right? I can't control what I'm doing and how I'm showing up by being my best self, 
right? So am I intimidating or are you intimidated? Now asking that question is intimidating. I want to just acknowledge that, right? Because that's a whole, that's like a level of like boss that, that people don't do in the world of work. So I think I encourage you to be careful and thoughtful about how you do that. But it really is sort of a reframe. And I offer that to you, whether you ask the question out loud or not to that person, I want you to have that reframe that really, if you are really engaging with best intentions and you are a considerate person, you are doing your job, you're being kind to people and other people still feel a kind of way, then that's not on you. Mm-hmm. That's on them. Right. Amen. And there are going to be lots of people who will be affected by your shine. Some of people are going to want to gravitate towards it because they want to feel that light on them. And other people are going to be so uncomfortable in how it highlights their insecurities that they're going to want to shut you down. Mm -hmm. So really starting to do that internal work and thinking about what are those interpersonal interactions telling you? Is it because it's something I'm doing that I can be accountable for? Or is it really about work that they need to be doing? Hmm, I love that. And one concrete thing that I always do um, is keep in mind, especially when you're in the work setting, um, everybody loves themselves. And so uh, catch people off guard by helping them talk about themselves. Oh, my God, that is a really... Uh, great idea, Bob. Tell me more about that. Oh, that is fantastic, right? So, and then Bob thinks that you're actually interested when you're not, but that's okay because it's very disarming. And then he goes, oh my God, Jennifer, you're such a great listener. And you go, I know that, Bob. Thank you. That's Thank why you. I should be getting a raise over you, but we'll go to HR and deal with that later. Okay. I'm not about your business, Bob. That's yeah. <laughs> I got work to do. <laughs> Breach. Breach. Um, Second question. All righty. Do you mind if I read this one to you, Dr. Nick? Sure. That's okay. All righty. So how would you suggest dealing with what I would refer to as, quote, toxic aunties, uncles and folks with an X, end quote, in the workplace? So it's one thing to deal with microaggressions and macroaggressions from white and non-black people. Uh, people of color, but the sabotaging behaviors, the anti-Black comments, and the harm from your own, uh, uh, that feels a lot worse. I see this often when folks uh, want me to tell, uh, tell, uh, I see this often when folks want to tell me that my version of Black is, quote unquote, too much for the workplace. Uh, Think of Molly and Insecure when she was asked to talk about, quote, the ghetto Black girl at work. So how do you, how do you manage when it's your own people um, uh, uh, going off and saying stuff? Ain't nothing like it. And I actually think we should have a whole podcast just about that. I think so, too. Because internalized racism is real. Internalized anti-Blackness is real. Absolutely. And it always hurts worse when it's your own people. Like, I just want to acknowledge that truth. It always hurts worse. Um, And even if it's not, even if it's not an active sort of limitation on your behaviors, but just this whole way of saying, thinking anybody has sort of the market on identifying what Blackness is, right? Like, mm, I could be all of these ways and still be Black, right? And the way that I show up may not be uh, what makes you comfortable, but it's what makes me comfortable. Um, I think there is um, um, part of, I think, the only thing that I would add without knowing more about this context is part of sort of professional um development is figuring out sort of what works for you, right? Like what are those zones of tolerance that you can stand and what are those that you can't? And then who's worth your time and energy and who who isn't, right? Are some of those people worth having a conversation with to explore where that disconnect is? Um, or can some of them potentially be allies for you or co-conspirators 
with you and maybe other people won't come along. And then the other thing is we also, I think, have to be aware of like maybe when a place no longer serves us. Right. And if you have the capacity to be able to think about exiting a particular environment, if it's toxic, right, that I encourage you, let me say it this way, I encourage you not to get comfortable in a toxic environment. And are there ways that maybe you can sort of navigate differently or think about moving through that? But definitely, I think having a whole podcast episode on internalized anti-Blackness. Yeah, we definitely oh. will. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, I, I have, uh, having gone to predominantly white schools and living, uh, working in uh, and, uh, predominantly white institutions, yeah, I can, uh, yes, definitely a standalone podcast. What I do a lot of times, and it sounds condescending, but I don't care, and kind of petty, but I don't care either, is uh, I use that old Southern saying, which is bless their hearts. And I say it to myself and I just look at them with all the respect uh, in the world, not respect, I don't know, pity. I don't know. I just, I just, mm, oh, and I think bless your heart. And then I just literally move on because yeah. what you give your energy to tends to grow and I don't want to give it any more energy. So I just, yeah, um, not yeah. all black folks are the same. And I'm like, you know what? I will come on my break room podcast with people I love and have, and and who feed me energy and enthusiasm. And I'm just going to yeah. skip all the rest of the nonsense. Skip all the rest. Yeah, I was um, in a training not too long ago when the world was open. Um, so this would have been 2019. And there was a, a Black woman in there. She was an auntie, older Black woman. She clearly had made, um, had lots of success in her career where she had. But she had had to make a lot of concessions. It was clear. She had had to make a lot of sort of um, dimming her light and boxing herself in to get to where she was. And she kept sort of being really vocal. You can't do that and you're not going to be able to do this and I'm here to tell you what you're not going to do. Like, it was clear. And so what I tell you is to sort of also be aware of that energy, right? That sometimes the toxicity is a reflection of people's damage. That they have been hazed, they have been hurt, they have been discriminated against and beaten down in the world of work and they've never dealt with it. And so they're sort of projecting that onto you and imposing that onto you. Mm -hmm the cycle right um and so you don't have to buy into that and it also means that there can there could be some discomfort in your environment because you're not buying into that you're the sort of an outlier in a healthy way and that always feels a little bit off-center mm -hmm. well and so dr dinky uh we got a couple questions so that pushed us through our question and answer period oh, uh just to yeah. let yeah, to let everybody know, you can send us questions. Um, you can uh, email us. I'm going to get that email address uh, shortly so that uh, if you uh, email us at thebreakroomlc at gmail.com. So thebreakroomlc at gmail.com. Uh, um, uh, because I know we get to transition over to the last. I was like, uh, there you go, G-Day. G-Day usually does it. I was like, when you gonna do it, G-Day? So I do, I'm gonna do the time myself, Brian. Uh, I probably no, should. I, I, I probably should. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. time myself. Yeah, so we we try to time ourselves, y'all, because uh, the last nerve is our sermon, right? And you know, black people in sermons can go on literally uh, yeah! uh, for hours into the afternoon, and we got stuff to, to yeah. Uh, so we don't want to keep y'all too long. So we don't. But I got the last nerve. So I have the pleasure of having the last nerve for this week. And what then got on my list? Damn nerve. It's people so, 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 so in love 
with capitalism and white supremacy that they forget their damn humanity. That has what's gotten on my last nerve. Down here in the great state of Texas last year, I don't know if you've, I mean, last week, if you've been under a rock, you may have missed it. But people, when I say people, I mean millions of people, meaning if you retained all of your lights and power and water throughout last week, you were in the minority, right? We lost power and water. I was in here with this nine-year-old child and all of her talkativeness, inquisitiveness, curiosity, and this five-month-old puppy in 45-degree weather in my own house. I went to school. I worked hard. I got a good job. I shouldn't have to be inside my house in 45-degree weather. We weathered that for three days without any power four days without any clean running water it was a hot funky mess that's my minute so let me say this my minute is already keep going keep going and so when the power came on there were people beating down my email door scheduling for next week i can't wash my butt still but you want me to show up for a zoom training i need you all to step outside of the white man's reality and know that this will all be okay. If there is any um, institution in this country that couldn't survive four days with lower productivity, then you don't, you need a new business model. You need to be put out of business anyway. You better leave me the hell alone. Let me get in here and get a good hot shower. Let me cook some food on my own electric stove and let me watch some Netflix and get my whole mind right. And that. It's my last nerve. Amen. <laughs> Preach. Thank you for sharing your last say, nerve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that rant because it's been a doozy of a week. The recovery also. Mm-hmm. People have been, I think, um, disrespectful of the recovery process. Right. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, so I'm going to get me some more Netflix this weekend. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I love it. Well, we are super glad that y'all joined us. Uh, uh, Dr. Nikki, you are a badass. So thank you for leading the conversation. Love it. It was great. Um, we appreciate you for joining us. Like we always say, be a friend, tell a friend. Uh, we are so excited to see our audience sort of grow from week to week. So we hope to see even more people here with us next time. And we appreciate you all. Bye, guys. Love Bye. you. Peace. Peace.